Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. My boyfriend went to Vegas for a bachelor party. Never a good idea. He went to a strip club. Do I have a right to be mad? I would say you have an obligation to be mad. I will say something I shouldn't, so you can talk for a minute, and then I'll jump in. Yes, that would be righteous anger. <laughs> yeah. um, how you handle yourself out of that righteous anger is the question. Um, if he doesn't see it as wrong, obviously that puts you in a more difficult situation. Um, and you may need to, if he's a believer and you're a believer, you may need to bring someone in and see if there's some habits there that if he doesn't have a problem with um, going and doing this, that maybe there's some deeper issues there that he's, um, that are coming out through this and you have an opportunity to deal with or not be his girlfriend anymore. Um, many things can come out of this, but it looks like something's been brought up that needs to be dealt with. Um, and you may need a, another pastor or someone to come in and if he's not willing to address it. Um, and I would say it's a boyfriend the meeting with a pastor is not the two of you going in as a couple he's a big boy let him figure it out you go in to meet with a pastor to tell the rest of the story and get counsel regarding you you no longer start dealing with this as a couple because you may not be a couple my encouragement would be I don't think you should be a couple right? if a guy is a one woman man fully devoted to his wife he will fight to honor and cherish her and be devoted and pure with her. Going to Vegas, you know why you're going to Vegas. For a bachelor party? It's like, well, you know, because they have Gideon's Bibles in the hotel and we want to read them. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not why anybody gets on a plane and goes to Vegas. I was just dealing with a pastor who's in Vegas. I'll tell you this too, for you dudes, what percentage of prostitutes were molested as children statistically? 90%. Rape and molestation, one survivor says, is boot camp for prostitution. The numbers are similar for dancers. You know, if you go to a party, guys, and you say, this is exciting, what you need to put on is the mind of Christ and say, I wonder if it was her uncle or her dad who took her virginity. I was talking to, there's a thing, a little tattoo, there's tattoo artists in the church, there's a number of them. Exotic dancers kept coming in, getting a little tattoo. I think it says Daddy's Girl. You know what that, that is? That's, a, that's like a gang symbol. It's like a branding for girls who were molested by their dad and now strip for a living. I got an 11-year-old girl and a 5-year-old girl. I mean, if they were molested or raped, if I was the one to do it? And so they made that their vocation I went in for a tattoo that said Daddy's Girl to brand them like a Scarlet A. Just so you guys know, there's nothing attractive about that. It's very sad. Um, 
Sorry, I'm making you cry. But any guy who doesn't think like that, he's not ready to be a Christian husband. Any guy who premeditates, I'm going to go to a bachelor party, get on a plane, go to Vegas and see naked girls, he doesn't have the mind of Christ. He certainly doesn't have any inclination to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And we do live in a stupid culture where it is, well, it's your bachelor party, man. That's a, that's a freebie. No, it's not. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, no, it doesn't. We were at the airport, and uh, there's a maternity shirt that says, uh, this is what happened in Vegas. Um, I mean, we just make all of these sort of jokes around it all. It's just a bizarre culture. Yeah, I could tell him about the pastor in Vegas. I was this week in Dallas with a pastor in Vegas, and a huge percentage of his church has come to Christ out of strip clubs. And I got another buddy who pastors a large church in Vegas, good guy, evangelist. He's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women in his church who were molested, raped, abused. Now they're single moms who strip to pay for their kids. They've come to Christ. They can't make that much money otherwise, and the church is struggling to know what to do with them because guys like this make it a viable income stream. What you do is to think about it. Next time you go to Vegas, you could be putting $1 bills into the G-string of a gal who goes to my buddy's church and is a single mother who just met Jesus and trying to figure out how to get a better job without putting her kid in daycare. You've got to think this through. You've got to think this through. So I would tell the gal, he's not ready to be a husband. Go meet with a counselor. Tell him to get some help. And I would say at this point, move on. Move on. Uh, so you don't just have a right to be mad. I think you have a right to be deeply grieved that he's such a fool. And if you're that guy, you're going to get all self-righteous and ticked and send me an email. That's fine. I'll delete it and pray for you. <laughs> you know, because it's just not excusable and it's not good. Men are visual. It's no secret. But what happens is it's not widely understood what is meant by that great truth claim that men are visual. Uh, there is a, a woman named, uh, get this right, Shanti uh, Feldhahn. She wrote a book uh, called For Women Only. It's a good book. She's a Christian gal, wrote a book for Christian women to understand better their husbands. Men and women, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're different. And sometimes men don't really understand women or ever. And sometimes women don't really understand men or ever. And these books are continually written where women are trying to explain men to other women and likewise men explaining women to other men. This is one of those books where a Christian woman is trying to explain men, husbands, to married Christian women. She does a good job. There's some good things in the book. Chapter 6 is titled The Keeper of the Visual Rolodex. Most of you have no idea what a Rolodex is. Um, think more like an iPod. It's the keeper of the one who has all of the different files that are kept for safekeeping. And she makes some great points about the visual nature of men. The first thing that she says is that virtually all men are visual. And I would say all men are visual with the exception of dead men. Other than that, all men are visual. 
and roughly 25% of women are visual. So if you are married and you're a visual woman, you're in the minority among women, but you will have an easier time understanding your husband. Uh, a typical woman will have to work harder to understand the visual aspect of his masculinity. Now, in saying that, uh, all men are visual to varying degrees. Some men are highly visual, some are moderately, and others minimally visual. And she makes some interesting points. But here's what this means, and I'll share these with you by way of preface. First of all, number one, a man cannot help but notice a beautiful woman, but it does not mean that he prefers her to his wife. Men simply observe beautiful women. They can't help it. It's the way it is. Right? There's a green truck. There's a beautiful woman. A guy just sees it and calls it like it is. These are just facts. Okay? Now, in this, this doesn't mean that if he sees a beautiful woman, he prefers her to his wife. It doesn't mean that at all. It does, however, mean that men note and make note of attractive women. So a man could be in a restaurant with his wife. If another beautiful woman walks in, all the men in the restaurant know she's there. And some of the women are aware that she's there. But all the men are. Number two, men's minds involuntarily file snapshots of beautiful women. And their file is filled with images that stretch all the way back to boyhood and show up without warning. Every time a guy sees a beautiful woman, it's a snapshot. Click, 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 click. Click. It starts when he's a little boy, continues throughout his whole life. It's involuntary. It's the way the man is made. The result is he has an ever-growing repository of pictures of beautiful women. He just does. And they show up, right, random shuffle, involuntarily, without his even, even being prepared or aware of it. So this explains, and most women won't understand this, if you're married on the way home, ask your husband. He'll confirm it. He could be sitting in traffic, driving home from work, and all of a sudden, boop, there's the gal who sat next to him in junior high. Hasn't seen her in a long time, but she's back. That file just came up. Now, what he does with that file will determine whether or not he is acting in a sinful way. Men have continual visual files that they add to. I give you an analogy. When I was in uh, Sydney, Australia with my family this summer, I, I loved it. We were driving on the freeway, and I thought it was great because I never saw any police officers. Now, this is a great country. Drive as fast as you want. And then one of the locals said, no, they don't have police officers because the highways are filled with cameras. And if at any point you pass the speed limit, they take a photo of your car and then send you a bill in the mail, and the photo goes into a hard drive database. It is saved forever, and that's it. Men are like that, right? Beautiful woman, boop, boop, just snapshots, always. Filed away into the database for safe, safekeeping forever. That's the way, man. And I want you to see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the grace of God, we want to all repent of our religion. And we want Mars Hill to be a welcoming, generous, passionate, hospitable place. We especially want it to be a place where women are welcome. So what that means, gentlemen, we treat the ladies like Jesus treated this woman. He didn't in any way transition her affection or her vulnerability toward impropriety. He loved her like a sister. Gentlemen, there will be in our midst and in your life vulnerable women who are hurting and broken and they will trust you. Treat them like Jesus treated this woman. 
If you're a guy who is sleeping with his girlfriend, cheating on his wife, downloading porn, going to massage parlors, hanging out at strip clubs, you are part of a culture of abuse and violence. You are part of a culture of rape and slavery and disease and oppression. And if you belong to Jesus, you are to bring healing and life. You are not to bring suffering and death. And I rejoice at the way that Jesus treated this woman. And it is a glorious example of how we men are to honor and treat all women, especially those who have the worst reputations and perhaps are the most vulnerable. And for you ladies, we see it is okay to be honest. It's okay to be passionate. It's okay to weep. It's okay to serve Jesus. It's okay to be honest about who you are and what Christ has done. And this woman shares her story saying, Dear Pastor Mark, when I was 18, I attended a Christian college. I won't tell you the name. There I met a man and fell for him, a young man. He ended up taking advantage of me on the beach one night. We were both breaking rules to be there together. I had been raised in a legalistic Baptist church. I was taught that any sexual sin before marriage requires you to marry the man you were intimate with or else you would lose favor with God. That's horrendous. Even though I did not love or have any respect for him, I married him at age 19, scared that if I didn't, God would not bless my life. That's religion. The first month of our marriage, he would be gone all night. I would lay in my bed alone and cry. The next year was the first time one of his friends told me he was having an affair. Later, he had rape charges pressed against him. I found out he had raped his own sister at age 15 and had slept with a friend of mine two weeks before our wedding. I was scared to death of spending the rest of my life with him. I recently found out that he boasted about being able to do whatever he wanted because he knew I would never leave him because it would be even worse to divorce, which God hates. He was in the military and a week before I was to give birth to our second child, he was discharged. He had problems stealing, gambling, and sexual harassment in the work environment. I moved back to my parents, waiting for him to find a place for us to live. I realized I would rather die than go back to him. I also realized that I would rather live with the wrath of God than with him. Thankfully, she was wrong. That's about the time I started listening to Marshall on the internet. Thankfully, God opened my eyes to the lies I had been taught. I'd gotten counsel from my pastor that even with all the problems, I should not leave him, but only pray for change. I sought other counsel and every other elder pastor and man I went to told me to leave him. I filed for divorce after he started threatening to kill me if I didn't go back to him. When I filed for divorce, my church gave me the black spot. No one talked to me. I would sit alone. My baby was one week old when I started waitressing to try to provide. I ended up working three jobs, 80 hours a week, seven days a week, to pay off the debt my ex-husband had left me in and to provide a place and food for my children. One great part about all of this was my lawyer. I had heard that he was inexpensive, so I went to him, even though I heard he was Catholic and would never do a divorce. He was a kind old man, and not only did he end up doing my divorce for almost nothing, he was so kind to me and showed me great affection through this time and told me I needed the divorce more than anyone he had heard of. I am 23 years old. 
and I have been a single mom for about two years. I am a full-time student, and I work full-time as well. I could write books about God who has been a husband, a father, a friend, and has provided me with more than I could ever want. Even when all of my friends were losing their jobs, I had six job offers. When I went to court to get custody of my children, the only people in the courtroom were the judge and my lawyer. I have two beautiful children, even though my old church would teach that I would be forever judged for my divorce, God's justice and mercy are better than anything I could ever have. I would not trade my story because through it, God became my true love. The God I learned about growing up is not the God I know today. Praise God. She's a sister at Marcel Church now. I'll tell you a little bit about Luke the man. He's probably not a Jew, didn't grow up going to temple and Sabbath keeping and going to synagogue and reading the Old Testament and waiting for Messiah. His name is Gentile. That means he's non-Jewish by background and heritage. Luke or Lucas is a Gentile name. So like many of you, he didn't grow up going to church and meeting with God's people and reading God's word. He grew up in some sort of other home. He's mentioned expressly three times in the New Testament. And he is referred to in an amazing way. He's paid one of the highest compliments in the New Testament. Paul says on one occasion, everybody's gone. And Paul was always getting in trouble. Starting riots, they try to murder him. He's off to prison again. And eventually, you know, sort of the fanfare around Paul kind of ebbs and flows. And what he says at one point is, everyone is gone, abandon me, I'm on my own, except for Luke. Isn't that a great insight? Everyone else gives up, Luke's still there. Everyone went home, Luke's still there. Luke's going to the prison. Paul, how you doing? He's traveling with Paul. Let me say this. This will be very important. Many of you are very young. And you, you live in a culture where you're really encouraged to be the wrong thing. And that is to be in charge. And what I love about Luke is that he's humble and he's a servant and he's faithful. Let me tell you a secret. There are two kinds of people who rise up in the world, in history, in ministry. Those whom God puts his hand on and he just calls them forth. And those who are humble, trustworthy servants and assistants to those whom God is rising up. Paul was a man that God literally just put his hand on. If you don't believe in election, Paul's story should convince you. He's going to murder Christians. Jesus comes down from heaven, blinds him, converts him, and tells him to go be a preacher. If anyone was elect, it would be Paul. He didn't even, he didn't even like Christians, let alone pastoring them. He preferred murdering them. And sometimes pastors still feel that way. Anyways, <laughs> he was chosen to go preach to people that he hated about the love of Jesus for them. So he's a man whom God placed his hand on, God called forth, God rose up. And what Luke decided was, I'm not gonna fight with Paul, argue with Paul. I'm not gonna use Paul to pad my resume. I'm not gonna try and be Paul 2.0. I'm not gonna try and supersede Paul. I'm gonna serve Paul. I'm gonna help Paul. I'm gonna be his traveling companion, his friend, his researcher, his helper, his personal physician. Luke was a doctor. And he's the one who faithfully served Paul. Some of you, God's going to call to be like Paul. Some of you, God's going to call, most of you, God's going to call to be like Luke. 